39,255 men took their life in 2022. That is up 2.3% from 2021. So what I'm hoping to do with the After Dark series is illustrate intimate and honest conversations between two men uh, that can be had for men to be better and to talk about our darkest moments because I believe that men should be spending their time, if we're looking down on each other, at least giving hands up to help a brother out. So that's what we're going to be chatting about. And today, I have a really good close friend of mine. So the reason I wanted to start with my closest friends is because I wanted you all to be able to see kind of like some intimate conversations, what this looks like. Because believe it or not, a lot of men told me they don't really know how to talk to other men other than things like sports, booze, or pussy. True. And I was kind of like, okay, well, this is cool. I have great conversations with friends. So... Uh, my good friend Jason's in town. We're actually, my local guy group here in Nashville, we get together every so often. And I've told Jason about some of our epic things we've done from honky-tonking on Broadway all day to uh, gun range to we're actually planning a military type one where we're going to be taught by some guys. So you have to come back down for that um, to just top golf and whatever. But we all have these great brotherhoods, a network of friends yep. who are unique. And I told Jason, so we were finally made to happen, but we're doing bar golf. Yep. And that looks to be... A little brutal. A little brutal. A little brutal. But, uh, yeah, so there's five bars. Every bar, bar has a par. And each drink combo is a certain point. And you have to, the well, the lowest points accumulate, which means the hardest drink is like one point. So like it was like a vodka shot with something and something else. I was like, oh my god! But you can really play it at the level you want to, and yeah. still like be able to win. It's mostly for the brotherhood. We yeah. actually don't. We fifty fifty the drinking um, because we're all not big drinkers. But what we like to do is have some of those nicer social adventures where we're out there enjoying just different settings. So that's how yeah. it tends to be mixed up. Um, we're actually doing our guy trip. Remember we talked yes, about I that off the in weekend, September? Man, yep, in. yep, yep. We're actually, we don't, we're, we don't know if we're going to move the location. So we're going to put it to a vote. But regardless, I've looked at two spots to put for vote. What are they? Uh, okay, so you're going to be the first one to hear outside right. the group. So it's Lake Havasu. Yeah. Okay, but the question is how much pain they asked to get there. Yeah. All right, so... <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So, because listen, man, this guy, I'm telling you, I, as a man, I already fucking hate flying. It already bothers me. I, it's just, no, I'm not for it. It is one of those I like to be heavily just reading a book and listening to death metal and hoping I don't live if I, something goes wrong. So, um, but I know that nobody's going to like take flight to flight to flight. So, the question Uh, is, where's the one spot to get to? That gets us right to there. Because I would go to Dallas to get there. But I'm not going to go like Phoenix, Lake Havasu. I'm not going to do an extra step. I'll do, yeah. a, I'll do a stop to switch. But I won't That's do a it. switch, switch. Yeah, I, don't to get, do, uh, I won't so do that shit either. It's that, or we're going to head back to college. I remember. Yeah, unfortunately, the problem yeah. is I remember what it was like to have directs everywhere. Yeah. I'm that old. And so now when I got to have a layer, I'm so fucking pissed. Yeah, it, yeah. It, I, I just waiting on those motherfuckers to get off the plane. Yep. It's like, how slow are you going to get off this plane? It takes 20 minutes to get off a plane. Did that happen today? Uh, no, I've drove in today, oh, but yeah. like every time I travel, it's like that anywhere. Like people just, I don't know, they're not in a rush. And it just drives me nuts. I'm just sitting there like, are we ever going to get off this yeah. thing? I don't know. I don't want to have to keep getting on and off planes. Exactly. So, when you were talking about the claustrophobia thing earlier with your cast, I was thinking about recently, whenever I flew, and I, dude, I almost freaked out. And I was just like, 
Oh, uh, yeah. Dude, I don't. It was freaking Spirit Airlines in that seat. Oh, uh, right on. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And the, the last episode we recorded, my thing about me being my body cast and how I felt like being buried alive yeah. a couple of times in my life. So, where's oh. the other place? So, there would be Destin, Florida. Stay with Destin. Yeah. So, we're thinking about that. We don't know. Brandon DeCruz is coming. Cade's coming. Uh, I'm excited to see Cade Very in cool. either, either of these uh, wild outlets. Yeah. So he yeah. said if he did not come, I could punch him square in the balls. So okay. I will take advantage of that. Yeah. I, yeah. Fuck yes, I will. Um, so anyway, I want to kind of introduce you. I want you to have this moment to kind of like have your platform, who you are, the companies you own, and all that. And then I want to start into just some questions. And from there, we're going to see where this goes. But give sure. me a little bit of background about who Jason is. Yeah, uh, so Jason Theobald, uh, I own Scooby Health. Uh, we're a coaching company of 10 badass coaches. Um, we're basically kind of like a hybrid company. We exist in the aesthetic space, so bodybuilding and whatever else aesthetic you may want to achieve, and then also functional coaching where we're you know dealing with hormonal issues, autoimmunity issues, um, all those types of things. Um, so we blend the two. Uh, because you got to have good health over here to to get this aesthetic. So that's how our coaches are trained. Um, and then I uh, have part ownership in Advanced Vitality HRT, which is uh, what I think is one of the best uh, HRT clinics in the country in terms of our education and the clinicians we have working for us. Uh, we do a lot of difficult things with female health. We obviously help men. Um and so I think you should check us out if you're in that uh, demographic that needs anything like that. And then I'm part owner of New Ethics uh, Formulations. It's a functional nutrition brand um, that really tries to help with the baseline functional health. For instance, we have a product called Cordy's. It's to help in the metabolism of cortisol as it builds up too high in a stressful event. Those are the type of products that we try to get out to the market. All right. Well, I got to say two things before I ask him something or let you all know something, should I say. One, Advanced Vitality, their sponsors podcast. Go to brittleunbreakable.com. You guys will see right up on the menu, it's $25 off blood work. I tell every person, male or female, they will honor this. But guys, it's after dark series, so support it, right? $25 off your blood work. Now, it's like looking underneath the hood. That's all I tell people you're trying to do. They... I assure you their business is pretty solid. They're looking to add the right kind of clients. So in the meantime, they're going to help you guys find the best health outcomes. Second, New Ethics, they sponsored like a legally disabled crippled bodybuilder guy, me. Relentless 10, they support the podcast. They've also got good products. We can go over their stuff. We got giveaways that we're doing on the, po um, on the podcast and on the show. So what you guys need to do is rate us on Spotify, leave five stars. You guys need to... Take that, post it in the comments here on YouTube. Talk, let me see that. Let everybody know how rad we are. Let us know what you all want to see more of. Help us grow and share. And every month, I'm going to find someone to get 500 bucks worth of new ethics supplements. Hell yeah. Probably going to throw some books in, probably some of my favorite books. I'm going to treat it like a fucking party. My goal is to make sure I pick 12 great people every year. So there you go. That's how you get it. Now, most of you all don't know this. Well, unless you're really a big fan of Jason, which... I think about three years when this thing's really big and we look back on it, they're going to want to look back to see who you are. Mm -hmm. Most people don't know he started as an attorney. Mm -hmm. He actually has a series seven, is it I for do. investing? Yeah. So let's talk about that real quick. How the 
fuck did you go from those two things to bodybuilding coaching, seeing people, men and women in underwear all day, which I will say Good this question. when people always, my buddies used to like laugh because they would see my phone. If I was sitting out with them and doing check-ins or something They'd be like, Oh, that must be rough looking at girls all day in their yeah. underwear. Right. And I'm like, dude, for as many girls, I see yeah. just fucking dicks hanging out <laughs> or just underwear yeah. or everything else. Like, it's not all glory, man. Yeah. It's not yeah. all glory. Yeah. Well, how did we get here? Um, so when I went to college, I didn't know what the hell I wanted to be. I thought I wanted to be a doctor. And when I yeah, quick, no yeah. And I when I, I, I eventually, that. I wanted to be a plastic surgeon. I'm oh, very, so you wanted to go like nip tuck weird shit. I'm really good at art. Like I got into art school. Oh, yeah. Like I can draw really well. So my dad was like, One second. Yeah. Uh. 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 I'm breathing heavy. How's my voice sound? Nice. Mm. Don't edit this either. I want this awkward shit left completely. Okay. Yeah, eye contact now. It's fucking weird, isn't it? Yeah, now the audience is like, oh, this is really weird. Oh, shit. Oh, don't trip and die. All right, now we're back. We're back. All right, so you're really good in art school. Uh, I had gotten into art school, and my okay. parents were just like, it's probably not the best direction to go. Um, they told you not to do plastic surgery? No, they told me not to do art. Oh. oh but okay. my dad said, you're good at art. And you're smart, you get straight A, so why don't you go to school and be a doctor and then become a plastic surgeon because they have an artistic eye. That makes sense. It does. And so I went, and then I realized how much fucking studying I was going to have to do. <laughs> Everything to that point, it came very easy. And I got to college, and man, I had to memorize the Krebs cycle and all this shit in these science classes. And I was like, I don't want to do that. It just didn't sound fun. So I just changed my major to economics. And I thought, well, I'll get out of here and get a business degree, right? Well, while I'm in college, I play soccer and I'm a small, just, you know, small, I hadn't even fully gone through a puberty yet. I was a late bloomer. And the coach was like, you're very good, um, but you've got to, to grow. So I started lifting and then realized I really want to change my major and go into something with nutrition. But I was at a liberal arts school and I really couldn't. So all that gets put on the back burner. I'm in a business education. I thought, well, I'll just go trade stock. So I got out. I went to Fidelity, got on with their program. They put you through a training, get your Series 7 to 63. And I thought, great, I can build this career. Um, I'll put some time in here, and then I'll go work in retirements or become like a certified financial planner. And that's what I thought I wanted to do. I did it for a year, and it wasn't that fun. I was on the phones all day placing trades for people, and then sometimes you had to deal with assholes, and it, it, we didn't love it, okay? I got this wild hair up my ass that, while I was studying for the Series 7, I was going to go be a securities attorney. So, like, help with securities. And when people take their public company, I would help them do that. That sounded cool to me. So I went to law school. And once I got there, um, I realized that there was probably maybe 15 securities attorneys in all of Cincinnati. And most of them came out of Duke and Harvard. And <laughs> here I am at Northern Kentucky University, like oh, a tier yeah. four. AKU, it baby. ain't happening. It ain't happening. Oh. So, but at that point, you know, I was still there and I thought, well, just finish it out, man. That you're getting an education in business, really, because I know how to set up companies. I know how to like at least 
dangerous with taxes. So I just finished it out. And um, I got out of school and I didn't want to work at a big law firm because I knew that I was um, I wasn't one that was going to kind of kiss ass. And you kind of got to latch onto a partner if you're going to stay at a big firm and you kind of then got to take a trajectory up. If you don't really get in with a partner after five years, they kind of take you out and they bring in new blood. I didn't want to work 60 hours a week till 10 o'clock at night. I was already had that bodybuilding bug, right? So I worked for the government. Um, I was doing um, white collar crime. I was going into unions and auditing them. And that we had had like a, a, a tip would come in that their treasurer was stealing money. So I have to go in with my suit on. These people hated you. Get all their books and records and audit these things. I hate numbers. I hate numbers. It was a decent job, but I'm like every week, every week I'm either in like Podunk, Indiana, Podunk, Kentucky, Podunk, Ohio. I'm 24 years old. It's It just wasn't fun. So I saw a, a, an announcement for an entrepreneur, um, Bob Slattery, and his Reach USA family of companies. I thought, well, fuck it. I'll just put it in, man. You ain't got nothing You lose. should never be a corporate counsel if you weren't at least probably five years in a big firm. But he hired me. And so there I learned a ton of business and um, how to be an entrepreneur. And I eventually was doing bodybuilding because I remember I got bit by the bug in, 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 in college. And my ex-wife, uh, Stephanie, was like, you're really good at this diet thing for people. Why don't you start a company? And it was just side money for us to go on vacation. Right. I was doing it out of my house. I wasn't even charging a fee. I was free. If you bought some Beverly uh, International supplements from me, that I would make a markup on that. That was it. But I was taking people that were perennial second and third place finishers and putting them on stages, and they're winning now and winning overalls. So the word starts to spread. And now my Sundays are packed every 30 minutes till 8 o'clock at night from, from uh, 10 on seeing people. And finally, she's like, either got to start charging for this and make a real buck or we got to stop this. Like, this is cutting into family time. Like, you're, you're in, but I loved it. So I said, okay, I'll start charging. I was 200 bucks for a 16 week prep. Did a few of those. And the guys, right. And yeah. I did a few of those. And the guys are like, dude, I would have paid like $1,000 for what you just did for me. And I'm like, hmm. So I started raising the rates, right? <laughs> You're like, hmm, I like how you And then this, re this hmm. side business that was going to pay for vacations. Is now legitimately making, you know, five, six, eight, seven thousand dollars a month. But now I gotta go and I gotta be a lawyer. So at night I gotta work these damn, I gotta work, you know, not damn, but I gotta work, I gotta work more till midnight. So I'm a lawyer all day. I go to the gym and then I'm working till midnight. I'll stop there because that was a lot, but that's how I got there. It was never a direct path. I tried a bunch of different shit, but all of the shit I tried was professional. I went and got my education. And then I kind of figured it out. Fair. So I'm going to get into this, but do you, when did the moment come where you had to like look the fucking gun, I guess, down and say, hey, I've either got to really do this mm -hmm. and that means lose quote unquote safety security. Big time. <laughs> when did that moment finally hit you and what was your immediate thought and how did you cope with that immediate thought? I'll be honest, um, uh, we, we, the business was already making good money. Right. I was making about probably an extra $17,000 by 2016, and I still had my, my lawyer income, right? <laughs> and so my ex-wife at the time, Stephanie, was saying, we, you can quit now. Just quit. Because it was tough. I, was, I, I had to be a lawyer all day and then come home and work case, like the cases all night, 
right? Yeah, because those cases ain't easy. I do them too. Just, They're not just, easy. All, just, you know, and, and, and the prep and just everything. Um, so she was always telling me to actually quit, but I am never, I don't jump in with two feet on anything I do. I put a toe in, I put a couple toes in, now my foot goes in, and I finally go yeah, in. And so I had to know that this was going to be successful. I had to keep seeing this go like on an upward trajectory. And it did. There wasn't even a one year where it dipped. Every year I'm getting more and more successful. And I finally had to, you know, have a professional moment where it's like, listen, I'm feeling guilty. I'm feeling turmoil because I'm not giving my lawyer job 100%. And it got to the point where, like, I knew it kind of by the back of my hand. I knew what I could do, what I didn't have to do. And I didn't feel right with my boss because he was a really cool guy. And there was times where I wasn't getting things back to him. You said your boss was a cool guy. Yeah. Wow. You gave another man who was your boss a compliment. That's oh, weird yeah. nowadays. No, he was a really cool guy. Yeah. And um, he gave you a lot of autonomy. And that allowed me to do the business and start doing a little bit. That's huge. But – you know, then I started to feel guilty because I wasn't putting as much time in there. And I started to feel like he wasn't relying on me like he used to. And so we just kind of had a conversation, him and I. I needed We needed to just talk man to man. And it really came down to, like any business, he, I wasn't giving him enough value. And his proposal was, why don't you work from home and I'll give you the cases we have, but you're not going to be a salary person. So in other words, I was going to work hourly for him. And he said, name your at, name your rate. I said, 250 bucks. He goes, done. So I tried it that way. And what I found was I was so engulfed in my Scooby prep work, I hated to turn back on the lawyer cap. Oh, and so I said to myself, listen, this is where you want to be. You're living with a bit of angst because you don't want to stop and do this. He'll understand. He'll go get another attorney who's probably going to do a better job, let's be honest, because I know where my passion is. So I finally said, you know what, Bob, I'm, I'm really sorry, but this is just not working. I got to go all in on this, and it's what I got to do. And so I gave up about $120,000 of income, and um, I went, I just went all in, man. It, it had to be done. And um, I'll be honest with you, if I worked like a swing shift job or I worked a hard manual labor job, I would have quit probably three or four years prior to that. I just hung on because it was a nice security blanket and I didn't hate being a lawyer. And there's a part of you that when you go to school and invest that much time and money, it's hard to lose the identity. To tell someone you're a lawyer at the time is like, oh. And then when I say, yeah, I'm a prep coach, it's like, what the fuck is that? Nobody you, knows what it no, is. No, and it's like, yeah, you know, you probably scrimp by and blah, blah, blah. Literally, no, you know, I'm making $17,000 doing this shit online. And this is, you know, 2016. But I did it. Sure. Obviously, already had the bodybuilding bug. Mm -hmm. But when when did you get the bodybuilding? Like, when, what is the story? You're sort of behind like that part because I don't know. So with soccer, um, I had to put on size. So I started training after that first year. There was only three of us that made varsity, and I was one of them. But I didn't get any playing time because I was like a buck twenty. And so they said, "You just got to grow." So I started bodybuilding January of. 1997, right after the soccer season. I came back from Christmas, and I said, I got to do this. I got to get into this so I can play next year. Well, I loved it so much. 
that I really didn't want to go back to soccer. When I'd go back to soccer, I'd lose 15 pounds that I just worked for. And I didn't like that. And I liked being strong because I'd always been like small and like just, you know, I, I started puberty late and all these things have massive impact on your life. And we can delve into those things. But once I started lifting, I got power and I was good at it. I was strong, quick. People were now calling me the ripped kid. I was only maybe put on 15 pounds. I'm 135, but because I have nice looking muscles and you know, I'm taking my shirt off and I'm getting, I'm getting acknowledgement. And then to me, like by the time I was going into my senior year of soccer, I just didn't even want to do it. I was bitten, like full bitten by the bodybuilding bug. And it's just because of the, uh, I mean, I, I don't have any problem admitting it. It's because of the attention I got from it. So before that, you were ready to soccer before? I was massive into soccer. That was my first love. But I never worked hard enough at it, and I do regret that. It came very easy. By the time I was 13, I was on the state soccer team. There was into, there's things called ODP, Olympic Development, and they're trying to bring up the, to build a better Olympic team. And at the state level, you know, every, you know, every kid tries out, um, and I was one of 17 that made that. And I had to drive up to Columbus and train once a week, and I, I ended up hating it because I just I didn't know how to work hard. Things just came easy. Um, and so I never really developed the soccer piece of it. I went to school on a Division three scholarship. From where my trajectory was, I should have been much, much better. It's like we were talking about earlier, that if that would have happened, then you wouldn't have gotten into bodybuilding. I would not have gotten into bodybuilding, potentially, and I wouldn't be living the, the whole life that I live now that I really enjoy. But that bug hit because I had to get better for soccer, and then it ended up being that became my passion. So I have a question for you. I, because of body uh well, I went through my my childhood baseball was my first love mm -hmm. I can't watch a baseball game on TV oh wow can you watch a soccer game on TV because I can't help but think I like what it. could have been yeah Do so you know what I mean like I can totally way? see that from you and what I mean by my regrets are um I had all the talent in the world but I just didn't work harder than what was I went to practice but I never worked harder and I didn't get into the weight room right away. If I had to do high school all over, I would have done it way better. But my biggest regret is I walked off the field junior year of college and I just, I lost my starting position and I didn't care to work harder to get it. And I wonder if I should have. And so that is a regret. But answering your question, I love watching soccer. We have a pro team now in Cincinnati. They went, they almost made it to the, the cup and, um, I have no problem watching it um, because I think bodybuilding was where I made up. I learned to work hard. I went pro. Um, I even had a pretty good placings on the pro stage when I competed. So for me, that was kind of like redemption. Mm -hmm. And I picked a really fucking hard sport to be redeemed in when you're up. Your natural body is 120, 130 pounds. Yeah, no, that's very, very true. Uh, Logan, how much time do we have as we start kicking in this? I can start break free out my beautiful. All right, so everybody, no, Jason does not know these questions. Mm -hmm. So my whole goal was when I was really cruising out there to see what I wanted to ask people. I want to ask people, like especially just men from all walks of life. Uh, and we do this on Syndicate with Robo. Uh, their their hardest moments. Things that just you you don't really get out of a podcast because you're usually bringing someone on for their mm -hmm. topic of interest. And oftentimes we lose who the people behind those topics of interest are. And I think now more than ever, you see a lot of men who feel like worthless. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of men 
sometimes feel like they they just cannot really get out there and talk or don't want to, mm-hmm. don't even know what it looks like. So that being said, I, I, I wrote what I feel are some amazing questions. If you all do not like them, fuck you. Don't care. <laughs> um, that being said, we are going to ask question number one over here. Do you prefer smoke or drink? As form uh, as a form of relaxation. Yeah. Do yeah. you prefer a nice bourbon or what is your alcohol of choice? Or do you prefer a good old just fucking blunt? One hundred percent a good old blunt, but I don't even, you know, smoke that. I, I do uh prefer like I just have a vape. It's very chill, it's easy for me to control. Um, and I just like a little bit of mild relaxation, generally speaking. Uh, I'm just more of a naturally anxious person. And I know booze would really work well, but when you're a bodybuilder and you know what booze does to you, it literally yeah. shuts fat burning off because yeah. you have to burn the ethanol first. Yeah. Plus it dehydrates you. Uh, plus it messes up your gut lining and absorption. And it just makes no sense for me to spend the time I do eating right. And and that's not to say I don't ever have a drink. I, I mean, we go out and we have a glass of wine. But it's been very long time since I've just got shit faced. Um, I much would rather have maybe like like one little microdose of a shroom and have like some hits on my vape and kind of just chill out and mellow out and I can have a good time and that works for me. Well, I'm getting shit faced tomorrow. The <laughs> Rapper, Easy E, Eminem, or Tupac? Tupac. Okay. For sure. And now this one's going to be a question I ask all men. So, Logan, who's our producer? You're responsible for keeping the polling going forward for this. Okay. Okay. Blondes or brunettes? I guess I can't really say because I've I've I've, I've I mean, been with it's all. Just, listen, <laughs> um, put your current preference aside if you want to. I, I, you can speak openly. It's a preference I'm asking. Blondes or brunettes is pure to I, demonstrate. I think I have to go science. I think I have to go with more brunettes. Looking at my my okay, life. Okay, because listen, Fauci was able to just make up a bunch of science with shit. I'm just gonna make up a bunch of science and shit too. <laughs> We're on a mission to find out are brunettes more fun than blondes, mm-hmm. and have men been lied to? <laughs> this is what I'm curious to find out about. <laughs> All right. Now, that being said, what was your childhood like? Um. So. That's a complex question. Um, you, 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 I got to lay this out right because, um, one, you know, my mom might listen to this at some point. And, um, so as far as parents went, I got two great ones as much as, as much as they were good parents, they weren't great for each other. And so I had to watch all that and we can talk about that. So there was a lot of turmoil in the house all the time. And I think that's why I have anxiety. It was always, I didn't know if a door was going to slam. I didn't know if there was going to be an FU. I didn't know if there was going to be crying, right? So I didn't love to be home. But individually, they supported every damn thing I ever wanted to do and always told me I could be whatever I wanted to be if I worked hard enough. So those were always instilled in me. But I still had a lot of turmoil and anxiety at the house. Um, I'm the only child. So I did have a lot of attention on me. I will not lie. Um, and, you know, they... Maybe that was a good thing. Was that like... like not early we, on. Okay, okay. No, I think... I think... Um, I Well, I can tell you this. I was going to say I think it had issues in my first marriage, but I think actually I had more of not seeing enough love in the in the home. I didn't know... Oh, that's a good way to say I didn't it, know right? how to, like, hold someone's hand. I didn't know how to hug right. Like, um, you know, a hug to me would be kind of like this. You know, and so uh, 
you know, I, I think you don't see those things growing up. It can impact your first few relationships until you really realize like, man, this isn't right. You know what I'm saying? Um, but you know, the childhood itself, if I look back, I mean, it was, it was happy. So, I mean, it, you know, I wasn't, um, I didn't let my parents shit bring me down. None of my friends knew about it, which is probably a problem. I didn't know who to talk to. Um, but as far as like happiness, I got to play all the sports I wanted to play. I got sent to the best schools. Um, life came pretty easy for me up till high school. And what I mean by that was I got straight A's. I didn't have to study. I was a pretty good looking kid. I was great at soccer. I could draw. Um, I had friends, the young, the girls liked me like i really didn't have Let's to try it life you, huh it's important the girls liked you. they did i mean they would call the house they would I'd come watch me play i mean they just did i'm just saying like life came fairly easy i'm not trying to brag uh, how many girlfriends did you have in, in eighth grade at one time well in eighth grade i probably the one time no eighth grade was always one and the next to the next i wasn't oh, okay. that guy so you hold it I, I wasn't that guy where okay. i had like two or three yeah. no but i'm just saying so like that things came kind of easy probably up till high school. All right, everyone. So Relentless 10, I'm a sponsored new ethics athlete. This is a supplement that I really, really love, Lifesomal L-carnitine. It's really heralded for its fat loss capabilities, but it actually really is a secret gem for your heart health. If you take it, it helps with your ejection fracture rate. Now, you can go look at the studies out of France for yourself. ISL, the fitness coach, recommend this to anyone. Now, if you take it right before you work out, you put it underneath your uh, tongue, it's sublingual, let it absorb. You'll feel hotter. Your heart rate will be up a little bit. You've got more energy. It's going to give you a better overall workout, especially combined with a really good like pump pre-workout product so be sure to check them out this is a great product it does help with burning fat too helps transport fat to the mitochondria the powerhouse cell to be burned up for energy sponsor of ours relentless tends to discount code give them a follow I always tell everybody just try a couple products see for yourself support the sponsor support us thanks oh so, uh, jason theobald here um owner of scooby health advanced vitality hrt and new ethics formulations. You can find me at Jason Theobald underscore Scooby Health on Instagram or email me Jason at ScoobyPrep.com. So you were just saying that life was easy for you up until high school. What happened in high school? Is that related to you kind of hitting puberty late, like you were saying so, earlier? And then I okay. also changed schools. Um, so that, that really fucked you up? Sort of. So like, okay. um, I was from the Western West Northwestern, Western side of Cincinnati. There, it's like an East and West thing. The East side is where more white collar is. I was more on the blue collar side of things. My school was on the East side. So everyone was generally speaking, wealthy lawyers, doctors, uh, entrepreneurs, kids. And you know, they all had Acuras and Jeeps and all these nice cars. And I come over with my 1987, no paint on the hood escort. And I got to blend in with these guys. And I'm used to being like one of the kids that you just want to be around. It's just, it just comes easy for me. Right? right. It was not like that anymore. There was new, there was clicks and there was this whole East side versus West side thing. Like I had a starter jacket. They had like a North face. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I was more on the hip hop side of things and they were listening to James Taylor and the Grateful Dead. It was just a collision of, of worlds, and it didn't help that that summer most of these guys went through puberty or started, and I was still uh, living in a 12-year-old boy body. You know what I mean? Like, right. So that's not easy. 
Um, so, you know, all that transition was just new to me. You know, I wasn't unpopular, but I wasn't popular. Um, none of the girls looked my way. It just was, I had to be humbled and get used to, all right, this is going to be a little different. This isn't going to be what I'm used to. And things just coming super easy to you. Um, and so I had, I had to deal with all that. And certain of those things live with you for, for, for life, really. See, it was so weird. Cause when you talk about that, the moment I found bodybuilding, I was hyper fixating and fuck about anything. Literally my life and was bodybuilding. I wish bodybuilding. I found it earlier. My life was really bodybuilding, Dungeons and Dragons, playing yeah. guitar. And that was it. I, I didn't care about people. I didn't care if people liked me or not. Yeah. I was very, yep. very weird. Um, I have a question. Since you said, you know, you're in a 12-year-old body when you hit this point. How did that, like, how did that make you feel? Like, in comparison at that time of your life, did that make you feel like you were less than? Did it make you feel like you needed to overcompensate in some way? And my next question for that, how long did you drag that in life with you? Before that's you a good question. I it? mean, I know that it made me feel weak. Okay. That's fair. Weak. Um, and maybe just not as important because the, everything had kind of just changed. Um, I think I drug it in life for years. I mean, I think that's why bodybuilding, as soon as I started lifting, actually my muscles took to it very nicely. And my dad was a bodybuilder and he had, you know, broad shoulders and big quads but I never wanted to lift. Like he kept trying to tell me lift, you need to lift. You're going to have to work out. And I didn't yeah. want to do it. And I kept I fighting him again. and it was this knockdown drag. And he's like, dude, you'll be better at soccer. Like you have all the tools, but you gotta, you gotta be a little bit faster. You gotta be, you gotta be a little bit faster and stronger because the kids are bigger. You've got to be above. You've got to work harder. I didn't want to hear it. But when I finally got to college and I heard a so like my coach finally say, yeah, you're not going to play unless you grow. And so I started training. And then when I, my body, developed and I hear him that I'm the ripped kid and Jay's got abs and all this. And I wasn't even really seeing it about myself yet. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, but other people were and they're commenting on it. And then that was like fucking, that was like a drug. It was, a, it was like a drug. I could agree to that. Yeah. I can agree to that. There was something that about when people started recognizing mm -hmm. the body I built, I was like, Oh, I'm no longer that cripple kid anymore. Mm -hmm. Like things started changing. I no longer identified in that way. And and one of my first nicknames, um, they called me Creo Snacks because for creatine. Yeah. It, and it was because I was growing, and they knew I was taking creatine. It was like they just put it together, and it's like it started to build this identity that I was the guy that worked out. I was the guy with muscle. I was the guy that was in shape. And it 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 just did something to me, and I think it has to do with what I early in life where things came easy and I got a ton of attention because I was good at this, good at that. And then in high school, I didn't. And now I found this thing that's redirecting it back. So I have a question. You said something and this is, how did you, I'm going to ask this question in a minute, but I want to, you said something very telling. So I want to go back to your home life. Mm -hmm. You said you didn't want to be home. Mm -mm. How come you think you didn't stumble on the drugs and things you shouldn't have by not being at home? Because most people who don't want to be at home and yep. teenagers tend to get in trouble yep. and tend to kind of go a different way yep. because of the home life. So what kind of kept you from avoiding that? Were you just yeah, kind of be a pussy afraid of, afraid of jail? And I, I, I think I've always been a, a person that will – I don't like rules, but I'm also very smart about – I don't want to derail my life at very young age. So in third grade, they asked every kid to write down what he wants to be. 
I didn't give a fuck what I was going to be. I put a millionaire and my mom still has it. So to me, I knew if I was doing stupid shit, I wasn't going to get to my goal. And to me, money and all those things meant something. I don't know why. Maybe because I watched them manage every dime. So to me, if I'd steered too far off the track, that was going to fuck that up. And I wasn't going to fuck that up. So I think being good at sports and having all those things, I was in the neighborhood. I wanted to play horse and I wanted to play soccer and I wanted to play like uh, rollerblade hockey. I didn't want to be doing drugs. I didn't want to hang with those kids. Those were the kids that didn't like me because everything came so easy. They wanted to beat me up. Those were my bullies. There was big kids in the neighborhood who didn't get good grades. Parents were divorced. They weren't good looking kids. They were overweight. They were a lot bigger than me, and they tried to jump me a couple of times. Uh, Troy, my good friend, part owner in the uh, Advanced Fatality, he'll remember we were up by the bowling alley. Dude, these big goons came, and uh, one of them got a good shot on my chest. Man, it hurt for like a week and a half. I didn't want to tell my parents. I thought I'd like broke a bone, but they got a good shot in, and we got away from them, and they were bigger. There was nothing we could do about it. Um, I was probably 12, and so I felt weak there too. You know what I mean? Uh, I never really thought I had bullies because I was a popular kid, but I I. I did by those definitions. I mean, they didn't like me because I was, I was popular and things came easy and, and I had girlfriends. So, um, yeah, I, you know, I think that's looking back, I think that's kind of all part of it. You know what I mean? Like having those experiences. hundred percent. You know, I wanted to be a garbage man when I was third grade. No shit. Yeah. I think I actually saw the brilliance and the freedom of that job. It's like Shane Yeggs hanging out the back of a truck, jamming to, <laughs> jamming to a fucking yeah. Walkman, yeah. getting sunshine all yeah. day. Yeah. Just in your own little world. Dude, you make all the money now. I mean, some of these yeah. guys making money. I'm like, yeah. shit, man. I think at eight, nine, I was, I was pretty wise yeah. kid. Like, thinking I'll about, tell you, I'll tell you a story and this kind of sums it up. Uh, around age 15, 16, um, that summer I did hang with a few kids from the public school, not from my school, Summit Country Day. Even the name of that sounds pretentious, right? And it does. It makes you sound... Summit Country Day. It makes me sound... It yeah. sounds like you... So that's like why I went to high school. Like you know what I'm saying? Somewhere. Here comes this kid from the west side going over to the east side the where all the money side, is. Side. Um, and so... Um, uh, shit, where was I going with that? You got a story to sum it up, you said? Yeah, so... Um, I started hanging with these kids and they wanted to egg houses. Okay. So I went one night and did it with them and I was, I was good. Like I did it once. That was it. Well, they called again. Hey, we're going to go out in the car tonight. We're going to get caught. We're going to do it with car. We're going to hit cars. They're going to drive around. I was like, you know what? I'm good. And I got something going on with, with soccer. They end up getting arrested. And to me, I just knew it was not a smart thing. I kind of did it. You know, I chucked a few eggs. I didn't feel great about it. And when they were going to do it, it was no problem for me to say, I don't need to go. I didn't worry about peer pressure. I didn't give two shits. I wasn't going to risk my future. And I had that young on, and I don't exactly know why. So it's like an intuition type of thing? It had, yeah. Yeah. That goes back and forth at times, and at times I don't. So I, I'm not really sure where I'm at in that. I really, I don't know. So I'm not, it's not deep. It was not in the house. Gotcha. Yeah, not at all. No, I wasn't raised that way. Um, they did put me through Catholics, like first communion and all those things, but it was so I could go to like better schools. Gotcha. We would go in, take, take the bread and leave. And like, it just, it just wasn't something I was raised in. Gotcha. Yep. Yeah. I, I was raised full on Catholic and just didn't really last. So, well, I mean, I, I Let's have the conversation, actually. Fuck it. Let's do it. Um, 
I can sit here and say that I'm honest enough that the reason I have a hard time in my faith is I just don't know how I'm supposed to comprehend having conversations with something that doesn't talk back to me. And that's where I get the whole thing of faith has to come right, in. Right. And, and I'm saying with like you though. That. But I'll be honest, man, the older I get, I watch like one of my old clients, he died of pancreatic cancer last week. And I actually met this man because his husband um, trained with me for a few years and his husband lost a man to cancer before him. No, man. Dude, cancer's like growing like crazy. Yeah. And I watched him. This, and this guy, dude, will give you the shirt off his back. Was just, he was a very sweet, nice man. And then you got some pedo fuck that just, I want to throw through the wood chipper feet first. You know what I mean? Like yeah. on the opposite. And I look, and I think that's where I get hard rationalized. Yeah. Like, you know, just reading like some like real fucked up stories that like, especially the pedo shit and things like that, that I'm like, fuck. Like, as a doll, I'm like, this shit really exists. Like, it's disheartening. And I just feel like, you know, with the time of day and age, all the fighting, all the wars, all the bullshit, if you removed God, you'd removed a lot of problems in the world. And therefore, it can't make rational sense to me anymore. I'm like, yeah. why is this all loving God allowing all these wars? I get the faith argument and all stuff, but I just need more. And there, you can't ever supply more. And I often wonder now, as I've gotten older and I've done enough psychedelics, that I think the actual hard problem of dealing with spirituality is the fact that we are that really alone and we're not meant to really comprehend. Well, correct. You yeah. know, and, so and, you and, I, and, and you know, for that, I, I think, um, I will say this, um, I've lived with someone with really strong faith and they are able to cope with things better. Because no matter what, God is going to take care of them. And I think that is so powerful. And, and, and my son, um, even though I'm not really into going to church and all that, the weekends I have him, I take him because it's super important to him and his mother. And I don't want him stressed out that he misses it. So we go. Wait, wait. That's a good co-parenting there, ladies and gentlemen. Just as a good good reminder there that you still do that for your kids. Yes. Because I don't want people would not do I don't that. want him stressed. No. Um he has not asked me about my beliefs yet. I think he kind of knows that I don't really, you know, yeah, yeah. But I go and I take him and make sure that he he gets there. So um I, if he has that, my point in telling you that is if he has that faith in his life and it makes the life just a little bit less stressful, maybe I wish I had that, but I just was never exposed to it. And I know you can get it at any point in your life, but there's never been an aha moment for me. I'm just going to be honest with you. My brain goes, uh, I'm talking to no one. Um, how can Buddha, Buddhist and, and this religion and all these think they're right? Because they do. They can't all be right. And then I went to a Baptist revival once when I was in college because I was studying it. I had a double major. I was a sociology major in economics and I called it my fun major and my unfun major. And so I went and, and I was doing a, a sociological, I don't want to say experiment, but I was watching, I was observing. Um, and the bang message of it at the end of the day, they had all these children in the audience and they showed four skits. And one of them was this guy who didn't believe in God or at least bring him into his life before he died. He gave to charities. He was a great father. He was a great uh, husband, but he didn't say, I accept God. So when he died, the stage goes dark and the devil comes out and takes him down to hell. There's a, there's a guy over here who's a womanizer. He drinks. He, he killed some woman. 
um, uh, driving drunk. But on his deathbed, he goes, I accept Christ. And here are the, the gates of, of heaven open, and he goes up. I'm sorry. At the end, then, they had these kids come down. They go, who's ready to accept Christ? Well, every kid's like, me, 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 me. Like, you know, they don't, they, they don't, they don't have to be good. They don't do anything other than just say, I accept Christ. And they don't have to go with this scary guy. It just seemed like brainwashing to me. I am. I read a lot. I love a lot of history, but if you really kind of like delve down, I think religion was made for us to cope. Sure. And if you think about, it, like, you had to have like eight kids, knowing four would die from like typo, typhoid. Like, yeah. you're lucky if you got like like more to than 40 like and, yeah, and not had a yeah. And not yeah. yeah. So, um, and that's like you know, I would love one day just I'm actually bringing a pastor on to have conversations. Yeah. Because I think that'd be great. I, I really want to know like how I'm supposed to have faith as a man yeah. when everything tells me I should, I'm losing it more by the day. Yeah. In the sense yeah. of that. And, um, you know, I think I want to note though, that that is super good that you're still taking him. Cause I know a lot of parents when they get the kid, they don't do that fucking shit. Like it tends to be spiteful yeah. between parents, which is just fucking shit. So it's, it's just and about been, him. Yeah, it's no, it, that's it, the right co-parenting. Uh, no move should be made that isn't in the best interest of the child. If you're making a move and you can honestly, can't honestly say it's in the best interest of the child, then you don't make the move. I agree with you hundred percent. Now I want to get back to you yeah. as the child. How did your parents interact? Between you, each other, yeah. When you were a kid, like you said, door slam and, yep. and fuck you. Yeah. But like, what did you really see, Jason? Would be my question. <sighs> All right. So my very first memory, and and I don't want I don't I don't want to give too too much away, and I want to be respectful. But my very first memory at three, I my very first memory in life is very very traumatic. Um, my mother. Um, she, I've talked to her since and I said, you probably shouldn't have done this. And she goes 100%. I guess she knew my day I was stepping out and she was with a friend and we were in the friend's truck. I still remember that I'm sitting in the middle and I remember driving up and we see my dad's, he had a red like VW Volkswagen and, um, it was at her best friend's apartment. She, she goes up and I guess I didn't want to stay with the friend and, uh, He's in that apartment, my, my dad. And so I watched all that go down and the screaming and the yelling. And um, that's my first memory of life. So that's pretty, pretty rough. And that's how they interacted a lot. I remember one time he left for about three weeks and he came home. And uh, I guess women had been calling the house and in order and his way of solving that was to throw the phones out into the woods. And we had, when he left, we had to go out with a flashlight and find them. So I remember those things. So it's pretty traumatic. Like we lived in Indiana, like it was kind of rural, but it was rural. Um, so you just got things like that. They didn't interact well. Um, other memories I have that just created a lot of tension was, um, they get in an argument and he just went and talked to her for nine months. 
Like literally it could be like, hey, we pass the potatoes and he'd just keep eating and won't acknowledge that she's asking him to pass the potatoes. They sleep in the same room every night. <sighs> yeah. To your knowledge? Just to my knowledge most times, yeah. It's fucking weird. Yeah. I don't know how you could go to bed if you're not like fucking talk to someone for nine months. Right. That's that's like a really hell of a punishment to deal to yeah. your mom. And it's a lot. Of, Did you yeah. hate him more because of the way he treated her? I tried. I tried to remain Switzerland because he was a great dad. So how was he a great dad though? If you're watching this shit well, character, like, you can separate it because he. Curious. I'm just curious because I'm. Well, I'll, I'll tell you. Logan I'll tell you. Too. Um, he coached every one of my soccer teams. Okay. He was always there. Um. Never missed. He'd sneak out of work to be at the practice. Um, he always would support the things that I did and be there. And he always was there for advice and, you know, making sure that I was doing the right shit. He'd be on my ass and he'd be like, do you want to go out and kick soccer? Like, do you want to, you know, and it, I would have time to be like, no. And he, you know, um, so he, he was supportive in a lot of, a lot of things that I think a young man needs. It's just their relationship was not good. And what should have happened was they should have got a divorce. And I told my mom that many a times and that would have been much easier. And that's why I ended up finally getting a divorce because we slept in different rooms and I didn't want him to grow up like me and not know how to, um, you know, have the right relationship between him and, 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 and a woman. You know what right. I'm saying? Because he never saw it. So now Maddox sees a good relationship at my house where, you know, we're, we, we, we're loving and he sees a loving relationship at his other house. And so I didn't want him to grow up the same. But to answer your question, he was super supportive, a very good father. It's just together they were not great and they showed things that I shouldn't have seen. Fair. Fair. Now, how did that translate to you and your relationships. So I want to bring this up because a lot of men tend to model their dads. So in your marriage, your first marriage, um, did you tend to leave? Did you tend to be silent? Did you tend to cheat? Were there like phones that you were throwing out into the woods? No, I don't think I had the same anger as him and I have more of my mother's person. What what the fuck he was angry about? Yeah, Yeah. his parents got divorced at eight. So he, he was pissed about that. Well, his father left and really never, he never came to his football games. He never came to his graduation. That's why he did all and the he things was in he t- for you. Right. And he was in okay. town. It wasn't like he was out of town. He just didn't care. And so he was pissed about that. And that's why he was there for me. He didn't perpetuate the same cycle. He ended it and taught me being present is one of the most important things in, in raising your kids. Um, how many years were you married? 16, I think. Okay. Do you have any regrets? No, no, no. Because, um, well, I have regrets of how I, I think how I behaved, but sure, I don't have but regrets. I in that. That. What are the regrets? Because you know, after every relationship, I thought you meant, do I have regrets that I got married? And I don't. No, 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 no. Any no. regrets over the, over the ending of the marriage man from being married that long. Um, it, 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 it taught me a lot, but regrets, um, like I said, I didn't know how to hug right. Um, I literally didn't. And I remember Steph being like, are you sure you like me? Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, so I didn't know how to really be emotionally connected to someone. And, and by the time you learn it, if you haven't done it, it's very hard to do it then with that person. Um, 
because there's so much animosity built up. Elaborate on that a little bit. Well, I mean, if you're if a person wants more emotion from you and you're not giving it to them, they start to get animosity, right? They're not getting their needs met. So then they start taking things from you that they know you want, right? And it's it and, and by the time you realize by the time you realize it, it's very hard to unforgive those things and to be then affectionate with someone once it's gotten that far. And I, I'm not saying couples can't unwind it. But I wasn't able to. I actually have two things we actually have in our, our marriage when we don't talk about other couples' relationships because it's one of those things, like, you still want to bring that kind of vibe in. And um, the other one was, are, are we maintain the peace at home? Any hard conversations are had in car rides and we go to places. That way the home is always safe and secure. Because that was something that I didn't have in my childhood. And I was like, you know, my was my mom was the best person to hang up a phone because my my dad was long distance and and do other shit on the flip. So for me, it wasn't, it was a very direct, hostile kind of environment I lived in. My mom was a very direct person. Um, But it made the house, like I was always walking on eggshells. Yeah. Yeah. Like I just didn't like that. And I just remember being like, when in my past relationship, we got like that with my son. I was like, I gotta fucking go because it's making me feel like I'm raising my kid in an environment I hated being in. Yep. And it wasn't even like I was being as bad as I remember, mm-hmm. you know, that I saw or heard. It was just I felt bad. Like yeah. that was there again. Logan, what are you, you wanted to say something earlier. I kind of blazed to hear to stop and get to your point, what you uh, wanted to say. Well, uh, I was, we were talking about. Mm-hmm. kind of stuff that you're talking about but um, like how would you describe that kind of like the effect that that has on you to a person that did not grow up on a daily basis in fight or flight mode like mm-hmm. you know essentially like you guys are talking about on, on yep. shells, and you were talking about anxiety as well um, long story short there was a hill before I would come over you know come to my dad or to my house mm-hmm. right at the top of the hill you could see if my stepdad was there or not mm-hmm. you know so it's like oh yeah, oh, yeah. Or he's, or he's, he's not. Or yeah, so yeah. You can relax. Yeah, like, then you're. Hey, yeah. Fucking, yep. Once I see if he's upset, yep. what's going on, check the situation. I mean, a child should not have to. Yeah. You know, go through that, but people don't go through that. It's like I said to you earlier. I would never even think about doing that, but that was every day. Yeah. So try to describe if you could something that something like that to someone who didn't experience that. Well, I think the main thing is like it's like this. Um, if you've ever uh, been pulled over by a cop. And that amount of adrenaline that shoots and you're like, oh, you know, like your heart just starts speeding. Um, That's kind of how it is. As soon as you hear a door slam, you know, shit's about to go down. So it just immediately sends you into flight or fight mode and uh, your heart rates up. And um, I mean, as a child, you don't really know what all that is or how to deal with it. And like I said, I didn't think I let it bother me. I was good. I got good grades. I didn't turn to drugs. I did my sports. I had good friends. I just tried to push through and put on a good face. So I want to ask you, you have an older son. Yeah. You talk a lot about Maddox, younger one who Maddox is amazing. I love my podcast with Maddox. Um, 
what his relationship with him been like? Mm-hmm. And I want to bring this up because of the co-parenting. Mm-hmm. A lot of men struggle with this. A lot of men don't kind of know that, like, I've had it pretty fucking rough. Mm-hmm. I know you've had it not so easy. What are some of the stuff there that you kind of look back on that or be advice to other men that you wish you had handled better or you wish you had stood up for yourself and said, hey, fuck this. This was a line that you kind of think about. Yeah, that's a good question. You know, um, that was my first, um, I guess, instance of co-parenting. You know, I've had different ways of parenting. I've had co-parenting, and then I had Maddox in my house for seven years before that divorce, or five. So I was, you know, doing it full-time, and now I'm co-parenting again. So I've been able to look back, um, and I think there's times where um, I would get information um, about something. And I think maybe I wouldn't handle it the best way. I'd send a text and, you know, a lot of texts are misread and you can't tell tone. And then it sets someone else off. And then before you know it, you know, you're bickering and arguing and then that's just causing, and I'm thinking I'm, I'm, you know, you're, you're sitting there holding your phone, you're, you're shaking, you're kind of mad, your heart. It's like, why am I doing this to myself? I should have just picked up the phone. So like a lot of stuff that's important conversations now at I co-parent, I don't use text. Like if it's important, I'd pick up the phone. And so I kind of learned that from that first experience, but I will say this. I mean, I think, um, we did pretty good job. Aiden, you know, is in college now. Um, he's on a uh, scholarship to Thomas Moore's D2. He's playing soccer. He was one of three kids that made varsity out of like 40 kids. I mean, these are kids that come from Saudi Arabia, Egypt, and Italy and Spain to play in these leagues. I mean, it's crazy. Um, and he, he, he made it and, uh, he's doing graphic arts now and it's kind of cool. We've, we've been able to get our relationship closer because, um, he's starting, he's starting his own business. I hit him up. He's, he's being a graphic designer. And I said, how are you going to build your portfolio? And he wasn't really sure. And I said, you got to get on Fiverr, but we first got to get a brand. You got to set up an IG account. You got to make sure there's a, a domain for that. You can't operate and not buy your domain because someone else will, and they'll, they'll let them sell it to you for a higher cost. So I'm giving, helping him, I'm helping him to build an online business. And I think he really appreciates it. And, you know, so I, I think it's taken our relationship into uh, a better, a better uh, realm. But, you know, I tried to be present as much as I could. Uh, I was at every game. Uh, you know, I missed some occasionally, but like, you know, I, I was if he was in Indiana playing um, a lot of times, you know, uh, Steph and Maddox would stay home and, 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 and I would I would be in Indiana for that weekend and, and watching Aiden's games. So I always tried to be as present as I could. Um, my bodybuilding show, when I made my pro debut, he was 14. We trained together that whole time. So I think that was good for him to see hard work and how that can pay off. Yeah. Um, but you know, co-parenting is tough. Sometimes they're just not in your house all the time. And there's different rules at the other place and there's different rules at your place. Um, but as far as Aiden, you know, he's always been a good kid. He's never been in trouble. I don't even think he still drinks. He's got a girlfriend he's really serious with. He does his art. He, he plays soccer and, and plays his heart out and, and he's got her and um, goes to school and he, he's never given us like a hard time in high school at all. Like not once did my phone ring and say, your son did this, your son did that. He got pulled over. He did this. Went over all the co-parenting stuff. Obviously he came out to be a good kid. So mom did a great job. You have probably had your spice, but it never went so bad that it damaged the relationship. Mm-hmm. You showed up, paid your child support, you did all the extra things you needed to do. Yep. Okay, now I'm going to shift gears over into the other stuff. Mm-hmm. 
depression and anxiety. Mm-hmm. What has your life been like and your battle with that? Mm-hmm. Because there's a lot of pictures to it now because of social media. Yeah. Before I would relate it to you as depression, I just didn't want to live because I didn't see a purpose to it. Anxiety would be more just like, holy shit, all the things I am failing at that is crushing me down that I cannot get over. So those Correct. are my two thoughts to it. But social media is a lot different. You can yep. paint it any way you want. Yep. What's it to you? So luckily, I, I don't believe I've ever uh, suffered from depression. Um, There's never been one moment you've just been like down for a significant period of time. Yeah. Still doesn't depress me. Um, my mind doesn't think that way. Yeah, no, no, I like it. I think it's yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, that those types of things, you know, it's not really a control or a depression thing for me, and and, and there's usually not a lasting effect after, except my heart will race. I immediately go into like just feeling like I'm revved up, flight or fight, like I could go run a marathon. So for me, it's more of an adrenaline dump. And that's 100% related to the environment I know I lived in. And I don't know that it ever quite turns off except when I sleep. Yeah. Um, so for me, you know, it's more anxiety. And, and I always kind of wondered, it really hit me hard in law school is when I first had it. Did you use medicine to cope? They put me on Ativan. I didn't know what was going on, but uh, and that's I, like the lower version of Xanax. Yeah, and I occasionally have something called uh, they call it chronic uh, pelvic pain syndrome, and that's how I know when my my anxiety is really bad. Uh, think of it like this: it's like if you balled up your pelvic floor into a hard fist because you're tense, the muscles eventually get chronically tight and they hurt. And so I, for some reason, that's how I when I get stressed, that's what I do. I don't know I'm doing it, but I do. Uh, whereas maybe someone does this. Yeah, no. I so the more one. stressed I get, I can feel this physical pain, and it really came to the forefront when I was in law school. Um, I was doing bodybuilding. I was competing. I was trying to study. I had a girlfriend in Lexington. I was pretty pretty busy, and I didn't know I was stressed out, um, but I, apparently I was, and all that hit. Um, and that's when I first realized something wasn't right, and when I would drink – or take that out of van, the pain would go away. So you know that you're hitting GABA receptors. I need more GABA in my life. I didn't know all this then, but looking back, that's what I realized. And so why I don't have it, I don't know. Is it something that I experienced as a child that that took all my neurotransmitters down? I ended up taking a test. I literally have no serotonin, no GABA. I am all gas, yeah, no you're break. You're not fucking happy at all ever. I'm all, I, I am. Just I'm just kidding. I'm no, I, it has nothing to do with happiness. Serotonin is the happy molecule. I didn't yeah, make my but, joke. But, I, but I'm not. He's happy, ladies and gentlemen. You don't have to like it, it's, promise. It's no more that the way the guy that looked at my test said, you are all gas, no break. Yeah, and he's so like, that's that why you're probably successful. Your just being stuck in that yeah, fight, flight or fight. State. Right. Yes. And so, um, you know, I, I, I used some Ativan. Um, and then when I'd take it, it would help the pain and I'd be fine. Um, but they finally stopped scripting me because they're not going to leave you on it forever. Um, and they just pulled me off it kind of cold turkey. and were like, yeah, we're not going to re- redo your script. Um, luckily, I don't have much withdrawal issues because apparently that's not super safe. If you read about it, like coming off of a, 
so was that benzodiazepam i was doing one meg a day it wasn't like it was ton but like you know i just came off cold turkey i couldn't sleep well for maybe a week or two and then i was just done with it and i didn't have it and i went back to being more in pain and kind of trying to cope with it and so i've had to learn to meditate i've had to learn to try to pull back but there's still times when i get the pain and there's still times that my anxiety gets the best of me but it's not crippling it's just i feel so fucking sped up i can't calm down have they put you on any antidepressants i've tried lexapro okay what was your thoughts of lexapro because that's a very common so when i first took it i was like oh my god i can't i people say it takes two to three weeks dude i took 10 migs that night and i sat on my couch and i was like oh my god this feels great so it hit me fast and I thought, well, this is great. And so I took it most of 2016, 17, 18 and 19. Um, but I never really did love like the, the sexual sides to it. Like, you know, it is impossible almost to orgasm on that shit. Yeah, You know what I mean? Like, and so like, that's not cool. And I was doing better. And so I came off it after the divorce, things flared up worse again and i thought i was good but my anxiety kicked up this was a time in my life where you know we split our income so i'm making less and for the first time it's only on me to get everything rolling and it came back so i went back on lexapro i've since stopped because i just don't like the sexual side effects i use something called selenk I make time out of the day to meditate and just deep breathe. Okay, so you manage it. Uh huh. And so I'm in a pretty decent spot with it, but um, I don't, I don't think it's gonna totally stop until I really don't have to work. I agree. I don't think that'll ever happen. I, I, I'm right now. I, I manage it, um, but when I go on vacation and if I can literally completely turn off, I don't have the pain. I don't feel my heart racing, but as soon as I got to get in the saddle and work and do something, man, it's just like, boom. and I can do, I don't really get tired. Ari and I joke, like there's that song, I got six jobs, I don't get tired by Kevin Gates. You probably don't know because you hate rap, but like, you know. No clue. Yeah. and but Metal like, fan. Yeah. And, and so, uh, you know, it'll be 1130 at night and she's like, and I'm just still sitting there watching TV, but then I'll go into the bedroom and I fall asleep real quick. But I just don't feel tired because I have this edge of anxiety on me. And I swear it's got to stem from being my childhood. And I just don't know how to get it completely gone. Yeah. I sleep like an angel now after I realized how much my sleeping was racked by all the hospitals I was in. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm down to my final three. Now I'm going to give a little time for Logan if he's got something he wants to pipe up for everybody mm-hmm. to kind of button this up. Yeah. What was the darkest moment in your life? You don't strike me as someone who sat around and <laughs> ever thought about killing yourself like no. I did. But you, surely you've had a dark moment where you've been there, where you've just been like, fuck, this is it. There's probably been a couple, you know what I mean? Well, recalls, it just, it's a Band-Aid. You rip it off every time you think about it. Still sucks. Hmm. I would say that at one point um, after the divorce, um, it's it's weird when when you when you've had people around you for 16 years at every moment pretty much of your life like when you're married like your spouse is there you're in the house you're not really alone right and when i first got divorced like don't get me wrong like you know I, you and i talked like i had freedom and i had fun and i traveled and i did things but 
I also felt really alone at times. Like, and I remember about probably about five months into it, I didn't have Juno yet, I don't think, because I'd left her at home for a bit. So maybe it was only three months in, but Juno didn't come right away because we didn't want to rip that away from Maddox. But we knew eventually Juno was going to come with me. But I was just on my own. And I remember one evening, um, there was three deer that went through our yard. And, and, and you know, it used to be, you know, your wife, your kid, my child, and then myself. And that really hit me for a minute wow. there. That's and I'm like, damn, dude, like, there goes that family, you know, and I'm sitting here oh, by wow. myself. Put together. And so it really kind of hit me. And I'm not really one to cry, but I definitely like, teared up. And, and I just kind of had a moment yeah. like, damn, dude, like, I'm on my own. And this is up to me to put all these pieces back together. And, and, I, and it wasn't like we were wrecked. I mean, we obviously had money and, and I had saved well, but like it just felt like I'm starting over at 42 and I had this thing. But for whatever reason, whether it was all on me or it was the mixture of two people, it was just a hard pill to swallow that it didn't work. And I had planned to like be this father that was like finally in the home because before I was co-parenting and I thought, man, I'm really going to have this chance. Yeah. But I just wasn't happy and, and, and she wasn't happy. And so that was, um, that was a pretty, pretty tough moment. Um, swallow the one yeah. thing you really tried your hardest to yeah. do. You, you couldn't just, do. You just didn't get it right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That so sucks that, to eat. That was just man. like that visual, you know, yeah. and it was right out my back when, and I didn't have a big yard. Like it was, it was, it was a, it was a little, it was brand new, but it was a little house, a uh, tiny little plot. Like I literally, you know, the, my backyard might've been as big as from that bookshelf to that wall. And, um, these deer came through it. It was just very, very weird and just very struck me, but Symbolism. I was already kind of lonely and, and alone with my thoughts and thinking about those things. Yeah. I appreciate that transparency. Cause I think mm-hmm. that that's something that a lot of men, you know, who've been divorced, there is a little guilt, some shame. I even say it's almost like a terminal guilt. Mm-hmm. Like you're not going to get over that. That's not fun. The worst in you comes out in those situations usually. Yeah. Uh, this is the last original question because the last one, Logan has a job where he has to make sure this is a clip every week because I'm going to ask the same question of ATG after dark at the last one. But um, I'm going to be direct because I know you're, this is a hard one for you. Mm-hmm. So what's it like watching your father die now? Man, it's, you kind of feel helpless Mm -hmm. and I feel partly guilty because I feel like I should be there more, but I just don't want to see him like that. He's got, um, Louie body Parkinson's and dementia, um, so yeah, it's it's um, you know you can have Parkinson's and not have dementia. He got stuck with both, and um, you know this is not a man who smoked cigarettes and drank beers all his life. He he lifted, he walked, he ate well, and um, it just doesn't seem right. But um, I feel guilty that I don't go more. But I I just don't really really remember him like that. You are. The last time he didn't. So that, how did that make you feel that he didn't know who you were? Um, like it was almost it just like makes the, it feel like he's gone already. You fi- know what I mean? The finality it's, of it. Yeah. Like. Okay. Um, but it's like, 
you know, you remember someone big, strong, like, you know, I remember him in his, his firefighter outfit, like, you know, the sleeves were tight, like he had these big quads. He was a strong dude. And everyone on the firefighter knew him as a strong dude. And to see him bent over and like 140 pounds, like having had people change his diaper and like, it's not living. And the thing is, if he knew that this is what he was doing, he would hate all of us. But I have no way out. I, I, I wish I could relieve that pain for him, but I, I can't. The one thing it's taught me, and I don't care what people think about me for saying it, there should be euthanasia if you want it, and I'll have my way out. I will never do what he's doing. I actually think that the biggest argument of our generation is going to be the right to die argument. I think you're eventually going to see our generation be able to figure out how to outlive proper health care. And we can't physically work to 90 or 100, the drugs that will people need to take to be alive because nobody's getting healthier in our country. And then if I was very honest with my wife, if the pain I'm in now, I can only imagine what that looks like at 80. I don't want that. Like, that, that's not going to be living me either. So I can relate to that. And that's a hard conversation to have because you're literally at this point facing the real ugly reality that that maybe was the last time you ever saw your dad. Yeah. For what he for, really could remember. Could recall. remember. Um, I, I just, he would not have wanted to live this way. And, and and sometimes I ask myself, like, how did he get to this point? Because he watched his dad. His dad lived to be 100. And he wow. was in a home. And his last seven years were just bedridden and just waiting to die. And I keep asking myself, why wasn't he prepared? Like, I, I will have an out. I'll have a bottle of pills. And I don't care what anyone wants to judge me for it. And when I get to that point, if I can't remember shit and it's like, it's time for you to go in a home, I will go to sleep. Yeah. And we had to have that conversation with him. And I'm the one that had to do it because my mom didn't know how to do it. And he's always ruled the roost and he wouldn't listen to her. And so I had to go over and I said, listen, you're going to kill her. She's taking care of you because she doesn't know how to tell you to go into a home, but she can't keep this up. And I said, you've got to go. And he was super pissed at me. And it really hurt to have that conversation but someone had to do it. And um, so it's, it's none of it's easy, man. And so my point is the only reason this happens is to feed the cog, the machine. She has to pay $8,000 a month for his care. So all that money outrageous. that they saved is going out the door for that care for he someone who he would never have wanted it. He wants to die. He told her he's tired of doing this. But my hands are tied. I can't. I can't give him anything. They'll know. And if I knew I could get away with it, again, you can hate me. I'd put him out of his misery. I would not. There's no fuck. This. My dad was so vain, dude. If he knew that someone was changing his diaper, <laughs> no. So yeah. it's it's made me realize that I'm not fucking going out like that. You know, I will say this. This is crude, crass, but in today's world, with how much people love animals. Right. You'd put down your dog for less. 100%. And that's the fucked up thing to say. 100%. And why do we do that? Because um, we love them. Because we love them. Because you love them. We don't want them in pain. But you'd rather watch a human just literally sit in a vegetative state in a bed. It's all about money. It's all about the money. The fucking homes have lobbyists in fucking Washington, D.C. 
Yep, 100%. So, of course, they're going to block euthanasia. Remember, Do you remember Dr. Kevorkian? Yeah, I remember all that stuff. Yeah, no, yeah. I was a fan. And, and a lot of my listeners might not remember. They might have not even been born. Dr. But this, Death, he did it he, in his he, van in Michigan. Yeah, he created a death machine. Yep. They had to push the button, but it puts you out of your misery in a nice, peaceful peaceful yeah, way and like listen i'm not talking about people who are just depressed shit. we get them help i'm talking about people who are in a state where they are not getting better my dad's not getting better mm-hmm. he's yeah, only no. there because some lobbyists wanted them to be there paying that kind of money yeah so it's um it comes with guilt it comes with sadness um i can't believe it like we were talking the other day my grandfather and my mom's dad, great man, but he drank and he smoked and that motherfucker was the life of the party. And he lived to be 78. My dad's 73. And Ray was fine. He walked right up to his death. He had a seizure in a bank and we, he never came out. We, he had, we actually learned he had lung cancer and he wasn't going to tell any of us because he knew he had COPD and he knew he couldn't fight it. So he wasn't going to tell us. He was just going to let it run its course and then call hospice in and that was going to be it for him. But he lived, he's going to live you know, a lot longer than my dad, at least quality life. And, and he, he lived how he wanted. So, um, it's hard to think about that too. Like, man, this guy was healthy. I think what got my dad was, um, I have an MTHFR defect. So that messes up your detox, right? I had to get it from someone. And I think all those years of fighting fires, the masks weren't good in the seventies, really not in the eighties. I think all those years fighting the fires, his body just was getting chemicals built up because he wasn't detoxing fully. And I think that's what got him. There's a lot of firefighters. I have an MTHFR gene, which makes my detox poor. And I know about it. So I take methylfolate. I take SAMe. He didn't know all that shit. And so his detoxification wasn't good. And so when you're intoxication paired and paired and you're smelling all those fumes and all that shit, I think that's why he got Parkinson's because he lived a healthy fucking life. And his grand, his dad didn't have it. My, my, his dad was 100, and my great grandfather was 98. We thought my dad was going to live to be in the 90s. We really did. And then all of a sudden, boom. So it's been tough. It's tough. No, I appreciate that transparency because a lot of men have to do that and yeah. deal with that, especially come to grips with your own mortality. I don't feel old enough to be dealing with this, if that makes sense. Well, and so it does. It does bring it to my more and you'd bring my mortality but my dad feels too young to be going through this i couldn't agree less all right so my last one i want to read this to you and i want you to tell me how this makes you feel to hear when asked who would you go to if you feel bad most men say no one how does that make you feel to hear (laughs) it's not it's not wrong Sure. I think um I think there's plenty of times I feel bad. I don't talk to anyone about it. Like I might like my pelvic pain might be flared up. I don't really talk about it. I don't think anyone's ever heard me talk about it in a public domain. Um and so I just don't I if I here's the problem, and I think you'll understand this if you bitch about it and talk about it it becomes real if i keep it inside it doesn't become real and it doesn't become something i get depressed about most people in chronic pain are depressed right that's a fact but it's only if you let it rule you and you let it become true so i just don't let my 
pelvic pain be known or talked about because then it's not real. It's not true. And so I just go about life. So when I feel bad, I, I don't really talk to people about it. I think that that's something that is fascinating about us men. And that is something that I, I've really tried to like get out of guys. Like, cause I've struggled with this. It's one of those, I really wish I could tell a man something and the guy would just be like, yeah, okay, here's this. But guess what? Your stuff in that body in a bag five years from now won't fucking matter. Keep walking. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's almost like we've, like, lost that. Like, rather than, like you said, rather than hear that potential reality of, like, yeah, I'm sorry, it sucks. Deal. We almost would just keep it inside. And then, then we just don't even feel like we're ever being heard. 100%. But what I get at with men is if you're always staying in your head, I've lived in that spot. It is a prison you will create that's better than most things ever man-made. That's where the conversations get twisted. And that's the problems that we're having. So if there was one thing that hearing that, that you would tell another man to change, what would you tell a man to do if they felt like they really needed to talk to someone? Where would you tell them to go? That's a good question because I think it's going to differ for a lot of people. Um, I think it's a depends answer because I think I would talk more um, – to a close friend or a best friend before I really want to go to a therapist. I've had some good therapists, but like you said, I've had some that just really don't have impact on me. They, they, they aren't enough like me. They don't seem to think like me. They aren't alpha males. And I just can't take the advice. The best therapist I had was 70 years old woman who'd been through like two divorces. Um, and she would tell me when I was being an idiot and she would tell me when she thought things were right. And she would tell me what things to kind of do. Um, and that's yeah. like I, like you said, they aren't supposed to, but those are the best ones. Cause like, dude, you're 70. She's lived a life. Like she's been through that's a lot of things. Like, my guy. He was, I, he's in his late sixties. I want your opinion. Give me your fucking opinion. Yeah. So if you got something like that and every once in a while, I still go talk to Carol. Every once in a while I'll text her and just say, Hey, I just want to go talk. It's been a minute, but I used to just, we didn't always just have like back to back therapy sessions. You know what I'm saying? Like it would just be like here and there. I just want to, I just want to go blah to someone. But other than that, like, I think. Talk to your, your closest friend. I mean, that's what else I would do. I just know for me there's certain things that if I give them voice, they become reality, and I, I don't want them to be reality. And so for me, maybe that – I don't know. Maybe that's why I have anxiety. I don't know, but I'm not ready to speak them out every day when I'm having those issues. Yeah, no, I often think that's part of us being a species, which brings up the whole idea of, well, then why are we – why are the suicide rates going up? And that's where I guess we all have to start having these better conversations. And I do think it's talking. Really the People need to talk. I do. I think and so. And I think what we're doing here is good and it's yeah. cathartic. And I think you're going to do a lot of good help work with other men and getting them in here. And maybe the men sitting here are able to talk, but the listeners who aren't, maybe that will get them yeah, some of the help. I want them to hear like, man, you can always talk to another man. And that's a challenge out there if other men are listening. Hear your brothers out. Like, you know, you can tease them later. There's always times to tease your bros. We were, we were there. Yep. And then there's times that it's like, hey, I really need to chat. Like, this is something, you know, yeah. like recently, uh, you don't know this, but I went through that shit that I did on the uh, uh, back in December with, with a former friend of mine. And I went and had a lunch with my friend, a local guy, and I just told him everything. I said, here's why I did X, Y, Z. I said, I just need to talk to you just to have a confession with another man to know what I did. 
And it, it was great. You know what I mean? Like, I felt really good after doing it. No, I mean, I left and I felt heard. Um, Logan, what do you think, think, think you want to button up here in the last few minutes, I guess, we got before it closes? Patiently waiting. Yeah, you should finger fuck your phone faster. Okay. Our greatest fear. Am I supposed to read this? All right. Our deepest fear is not what we. It's not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It is our light, not our darkness, that most frighten us. We ask ourselves, "Who am I to be brilliant, gorgeous, handsome?" talented and fabulous actually who are you not to be you're a child of god you're playing small do does not serve the world there's nothing enlightened about shrinking so that other people won't feel insecure around you we're all meant to shine as children do we were born to make to make to make manifest the glory of god within us it's not just the sum is in everyone and as we let our own light shine we consciously give other people permission to do the same and we're liberated from our fear. Our presence automatically liberates others. Why do you pick that? Because what you're doing out here is liberating other people. Fair. I like it. You know, and that's something like when I can, Especially with my religious... Yeah. I wish I had it all figured out. No, you never will have it all figured out. When no. Biscuit said it best, life's a journey. You live it when you're through. You learn it when you're through. It's difficult to do with some of those people that get on, the, on, you know, and things like this, and you want to help, so you think you have to have an answer. But like the reason I bring that up is like what you're doing now, just by people listening to this, gives them permission to feel whether they feel insecure on it or, you know, yeah, understand that they're not alone, which is another big one. Yeah. Yeah. I'm looking forward to seeing what the series has. I know we got Syndicate. I know we got some After Dark stuff. But I want to thank you, man, for yeah. you know kicking this off and kind of getting your other side that a lot of people who yeah. don't know you would actually be interested to hear. So, yeah. you know, there's yeah. always something behind the brand, uh, a, a person. Mm -hmm. So I yeah, appreciate, I appreciate it. it very much. Cool. All right. All right, brother. We'll see you guys next time. Bam. All right. Bye.